Jesus said, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, today marks the 50th day after Easter, the Feast of Pentecost. Today, this day, 2,000 years ago, or we celebrate this day 2,000 years ago, on the first Christian Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down as promised upon the disciples of Jesus. There they were, probably 120 of them, huddled together in the upper room, waiting. And then there was a sound that was like a mighty rushing wind, and tongues like flames of fire stood over their heads. The disciples somehow were shaken out of the room and they spilled into the street where they were miraculously speaking in tongues, languages that they had never learned naturally. Jesus had promised that they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit, giving them the power to bear witness to him around the world. And John the Baptist had testified that indeed Jesus would baptize his followers with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Jesus had promised that rivers of living water would flow out of the heart of the person who believed in him. Jesus had promised that whoever drank the water that he provided would never thirst again, and that in that person would spring up a well of eternal life. Jesus had promised that he would not leave his disciples alone in his bodily absence, but that he would send to them another advocate, the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of truth. So the disciples shouldn't have been surprised when the Holy Spirit came upon them, but I don't think that any amount of teaching or preaching at them could have prepared them for the reality of the Holy Spirit in their midst. Because the Holy Spirit is not just a nice feeling that we get. There's an old gospel song that starts out, there's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. And even Elvis hosted a group that sang that. But I noticed that Elvis didn't sing with the group singing that song. But this, and the song gets better, let me just say that. So I'm not really trying to knock the song itself. But this idea that the Holy Spirit is sweet and nice, that the Holy Spirit gives us good, warm, fuzzy feelings, well, I, that just doesn't work for me. Um, the, that word nice is, as my acting teacher in college said, nice is a four-letter word. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit is so much more than just nice. Um, the, um, 
one of the clergy who'd been here at the church, as you all know, Heidi Kinner, uses this language that I've never heard anyone use before, so I don't know where she got it, but I'll attribute it to her. She's constantly preaching against a fluffy bunny Jesus and towards the real true um, Jesus, who's far more powerful than we like to let him be in our imaginations. Well, I'm preaching tonight against a fluffy bunny Holy Spirit. Because while it's true that our own spirits do often feel encouraged and refreshed when we meet together like this in worship as the body of Christ, while it's true that we feel revived while reading scripture and praying, the Holy Spirit in the Bible is far more powerful. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is far more meaningful than just a warm, fuzzy feeling. In the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit working with God the Father and God the Son at the very beginning of all creation. How powerful is that? Genesis 1 says that the Spirit of God hovered over those chaotic waters out of which the earth and the heavens were formed by the word of the Lord. We see also all throughout the Old Testament that God's own Holy Spirit is given to specific individuals in the people of Israel for specific purposes. Israel's priests and kings were anointed with oil as a sign of the Holy Spirit upon them, as a sign that they would be empowered by God for the impossible tasks that were set before them. Israel's prophets also had a portion of God's own spirit resting upon them so that they could hear the word of the Lord and then proclaim it to his people. And there's one other category of person in the Old Testament who's said to be empowered with the Holy Spirit for a specific purpose. And that person is named Bezalel. I know you've all heard of him. He's famous. He's your every Sunday school answer that you could ever look for. Who is it? It's Bezalel. Just say that. And no one will know what you're talking about, but you'll look like you really know your Bible. Well, Bezalel was filled with the Holy Spirit, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, according to Exodus 31. And he was empowered in this way so that he could create the tabernacle where God would be worshipped. The Lord desired to be worshipped in the beauty of holiness. And he filled his chosen artist with his own spirit, just for this purpose. So the Holy Spirit is present all throughout the Old Testament, empowering some of God's people, but not necessarily all of God's people. But at Pentecost, there 2,000 years ago, 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead, the Holy Spirit came down in a new way upon all those who believed in Jesus, whether they were rich or poor, whether they were young or old, whether they were male or female, just like God had promised that he would do through the prophet Joel. Why would God do such a thing as that? And how is such an amazing thing possible that God's Holy Spirit would be parceled out to every individual believer? Well, through his death, Jesus has opened the way for us sinners to be in the presence of a holy God without the fear of being consumed, being destroyed for our sin. Our sin is atoned for. We are free from judgment and we are free to enter in to the presence of God. So the Holy Spirit can dwell upon us without consuming us. God's own holiness, that spirit of truth, 
can now reside in us. And then because of Jesus' resurrection, the spirit of life is ours. His victory has secured an inheritance for us. And scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit is just the down payment, the deposit, or the guarantee of the full inheritance that awaits us at the last day, at our own resurrection. By his ascension, then, Jesus has essentially swapped places with the Holy Spirit so that in Jesus' bodily absence, while Jesus is enthroned at the right hand of the Father, the Holy Spirit is present here on earth, accomplishing God's purposes in and through his people. So there are two analogies that I find really helpful when understanding what the Holy Spirit does in and through us as followers of Jesus. And the, spirit, the language of analogy is appropriate because that's the language that Luke uses in Acts chapter 2 to describe what was happening to those first disciples. They, um, whenever you see a painting with these little tame, like tiny flames of fire, just one little flame for each person, it was very, very measured. Um, I don't believe those paintings at all. I feel like they're, they're not fully capturing what happened at Pentecost. Um, two analogies, those, it, it, the language of analogy is used. It was like a tongue of fire over the disciples' heads. It was like the um, mighty rushing wind. But the Holy Spirit, as God himself, present in the midst of his people, present on earth, is something far too amazing to be contained even by words even though I'm attempting to tonight. But yet that first Pentecost, the Holy Spirit could not even be described. They had to resort to analogies. So two analogies that I find really helpful when understanding what the Holy Spirit does in and through us are based on scripture itself. And the first one is that the person who believes on Jesus is like a torch set ablaze with divine truth and with miraculous supernatural courage. Have you ever seen someone who was accomplishing a lot, something amazing, and they made it look so easy, and you just said to yourself, that person's on fire. As Christians, we are on fire. As Christians, we don't have to strive to exhibit, as the Calvinist said, those signs of regeneration. That is God's work in us, and we can rest in his work, in the work of the Holy Spirit, just like we rest in his work on our behalf on the cross. During the English Reformation, there were many Protestant martyrs who died during the reign of the Catholic Queen, Bloody Mary. Two of those great Protestant bishops were tied to the stake in October of 1555 in Oxford, and as the flames began to touch them, Hugh Latimer turned to his friend and fellow believer, Nicholas Ridley, and he said, be of good comfort, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. Latimer and Ridley had courage to profess the truth of the gospel of God's grace to broken sinners, even when it cost them their life. They were set on fire, literally, but they were also ablaze, too, with the Holy Spirit. And when we see today, when we hear on the news about Christians around the world who are boldly professing their faith 
in the midst of great persecution, we can say, they're on fire. They are ablaze with the Holy Spirit. And by God's grace, we too have the same Holy Spirit. People ask, oh, I don't know what I would do if I were under such pressure. Jesus has promised us we don't have to worry about that. That is God's work in us. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. Along the same idea of this torch set ablaze, I had this image um, while I was in seminary. Some of you might, have, might know that my brother's also an ordained minister, and he was ordained before I was, which was a good thing because he was older and all of that. It was good that he went first. Um, and I was praying for him just before his ordination, and as I was praying, I had this picture in my mind. I saw myself as... Um, as a child, with my brother also around the same age, the age he would have been five years older than me, and I saw ourselves there on the coast of Cape Cod at Nauset Beach where we go to swim every year, and it had just had, there had just been a raging storm. So the sky was calm, but the waves were terrible, huge waves, um, the kind of waves that you wish you had a surfboard for if you have the courage to go with the surfboard. Well, my brother was ahead of me, and I walked in, in my mind, in this image that I had while I was praying, and I watched as a big wave came toward him. And instead of trying to fight it or trying to float along above it, he bravely jumped and dived right at the moment of the crashing wave. Rather than being tossed and tumbled in it, he had courage enough to dive right at that moment. And I knew in my mind that this wave was coming my way next, and my brother's, encouraged, my brother's courage, seeing my brother's courage, made me stronger. It increased my own courage. And I took a big breath, and I dove down as the wave crashed over my head. As with many things that are beyond me, it's always been clear that ministry is one of them. And with all of the things that are beyond my own abilities, I need God's help. I need to be set ablaze by the Holy Spirit, that spirit of truth that will give me courage beyond my own abilities. I saw that the Lord would give my brother courage in ministry and that he would give me courage in ministry even though I didn't have it naturally. So what is it that is beyond you that God might be asking you to do tonight? Well, you can trust that by his Holy Spirit, God will give you the courage to do this, to dive in even when you're scared. And specifically, Scripture says that the Holy Spirit was given first to those first Christians so that they could proclaim the gospel, and the gospel would be um, then spread throughout all the world, throughout all the nations around the world. And that's true for us, too, um, not just for any task that the Lord might lie in, uh, put in front of us, put in our path, but specifically for speaking up and prayerfully asking how he might want us to bear witness to him in the moment. Maybe we're speaking to a friend or a coworker who doesn't know about God's love, and yet we can trust that God will give us courage to proclaim it um, in Jesus' name. So that first image is that we are torches set ablaze by the Holy Spirit, empowered beyond ourselves by the Spirit of truth. Well, also, as Christians, I would say a second image, and that is that we are vessels to be filled with the Holy Spirit, containers that are meant to contain 
this liquid grace that is poured out into our hearts that then overflows out from our hearts to touch the lives of others around us. When I was a girl, I was pretty good at visual art. I found myself creating different things, and it was fun, and I liked it, and it was an okay hobby. But I never pursued it because my older sister is really amazing at it. She is a genius. She has a special gift. So I thought, well, I better turn my attention elsewhere, and I discovered theater instead. But my sister, my big sister, is amazing. She's a genius with oil and canvas. Even just today, I was on Facebook, and I saw she created five paintings um, today. She just, and they're gorgeous. Every single one of them is mind-boggling. Well, the Holy Spirit um, is... Um, poured into us like a vessel, and I think of this because of her senior thesis from college. Um, when she was doing her masterpiece in college, she spent several months working on the theme, the human body as a vessel. And she had been involved in both pottery making and in figure studies in oil, and she was reflecting on 2 Corinthians, on how God chooses to fill cracked and broken pots like us with his own Holy Spirit. With celestial fire, we thank you, Holy Spirit, for being poured out upon those apostles so long ago, so that we so far away throughout time and space could hear of the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we ask now, come once again and set us ablaze. Come once again and pour out your love upon us. Come once again and empower us beyond our own abilities to do whatever it is that God has set in front of us tonight. And we ask all of this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.